0: We who are about to die, salute you! no foil we have no holograms i don't know if this is going to be a double-sized episode but this is a moratory milestone nonetheless this is our 25th episode which uh, you know growing up in the 80s and 90s means that uh this is going to be like twice the price and have a shiny cover and all that good stuff uh <laughs> how, how are you doing this week my uh my
1: my partner other other chris well, I decided to go completely naked, yet covered in foil, just for this episode. <laughs> and as well, I made uh, I made insert cards of us both, which you'll which yes. you'll receive a little bit later. How about that?
0: <laughs> and I am I'm completely blank right now, uh, so uh, you could take me to a, a convention and have someone write on me. It's, it's all it's all good, and uh, and it'll be worth so
1: much money. I, I I do need to say that we do need to be pre-bagged though because I think that's what really really makes it <laughs> makes the book much more valuable
0: is that bag. hmm mm-hmm. Just punch a couple holes in it so we can breathe and we're good to go.
1: <laughs> more so, bag, but uh, all the time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but is it gonna be a is it gonna be a see-through bag or one of these black dealies with the uh, with oh. like a, a bleeding moratorium on it?
1: Oh yes, oh of course, that's what it has to be. There you go. We just look, we just made this <laughs> made this episode ten times more valuable just with those mm-hmm. comments right there. There you go. <laughs> it's worth something, folks. Collect it. It's true, and and I mean, it's not like there's going to be any death in this ep- in
0: this issue or episode, right? Because we've been killing Moratori for the past like eight months in a row, so they yeah. can't do it again this time, right? They're gonna have oh, to change no. the tune eventually, right?
1: No, this is this is the past episode. This is where everything. <laughs> Everyone gets along swimmingly. High fives, they mm-hmm. introduce cousins, you know, it's 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 one of those episodes. Yeah, they're gonna
0: they're gonna have some have some more uh, breakfast shenanigans and maybe some cats will show up, but it's gonna be a really, really good time. <laughs> but, <laughs> but without any sort of ado here, let's hop right into the issue here. This is of course Strike Force Moratorium number twenty-five. We're in nineteen eighty-nine now, so it's January nineteen eighty nine cover date. Story is called Living in the Shadow. Written by James D. Hudnall, with pencils by John Calamy who, despite not being the regular penciler, has been basically the regular penciler. Um, inks <laughs> by Tony Zuniga. Letters, Phil Felix. Colors, Max Scheel. Edits, Carl Potts. And that foul odor is coming from Tom <laughs> DeFalco. Uh, cover price. We have a price reduction in North America, somehow. I don't know how or why. Uh, last, the last issue wasn't oversized, uh, to our knowledge, but... Uh, it was more expensive than this issue. So we dropped back down to $1.25 U.S., $1.75 Canadian, and 50p U.K. And uh, this one hit the uh, the
1: hot shelves on September 6th, 1988. Ooh, 1988. Look at that. Those mm-hmm. were great years, man. I remember robbing those shelves. We had New Universe hitting the shelf. We had all kinds of stuff going on here in 88. And, uh mm-hmm. Well, we were we were miles away from Secret Wars too. Uh, you know. All co- <laughs> we were primed. the nineties was almost upon us, Chris. The era of excess. Yeah. Like this is this is just like a, a warmer year we'll call it for Marvel. So this is uh,
0: transitional, yeah.
1: Transition. They can't even figure out the price of the issue. So I mean, no, the last I issue know. was two <laughs> bucks in Canada. They decided to give us a twenty-five cent break because it was. Uh, you know, I, I guess it was going down the pipes too soon, so they figured that we'll grab people back in with cutting twenty-five cents off this book, but uh, it didn't work. And, and also,
0: what they do this issue is uh, we're going to see the return of Peter Gillis and Brent Anderson.
1: Oh, look at you!
0: They're going to return. Uh, make sure, make sure that you know like, like, and retweet and favorite this uh, this video here or whatever. But uh, <laughs> yes, we promise you, Anderson and Gillis will be back in this issue. So uh, just
1: stay tuned, we'll get there uh, We do, do have a solicit for, for, okay. for wrestling fans, that's the equivalent of Jim Ross Introducing fake Diesel and fake Razor So we'll, we'll continue, go ahead <laughs> <laughs> here, here come some of your favorites
0: here uh, Now uh, <laughs> We have a solicit here That doesn't necessarily ruin the story So we can read it ahead of time here And it goes a little something like this The Moratory welcomed three new members In fact, they don't but the, the welcome may be short-lived because the government's secret anti-moratory force is planning to make instant martyrs of the whole strike force moratory team. None of that happens in this issue. Um,
1: uh, well, we sort of get three new members. We actually get five new members, believe it or not, <laughs> overall. So I don't know where they get to number three. Pretty arbitrary. But I yeah. guess you could say that if you took three members out of the five, then technically you they were right. They just didn't do the additional math with the other two. Yeah, the two that actually joined. <laughs> <laughs> the other two, the other three, were just waiting in the wings, basically. This is true. Uh, we have a cover by
0: Russ Heath, another nice cover. Um, nice. It, uh, you know, I don't know that this one would necessarily jump off the shelves at you like the last, uh, the last issue did. Here, uh, this is basically a space battle, which does not appear in this issue. Uh, it looks like it's the the Vaxes or the Vaxians or the Vax Vex 117ians. Uh, they are taken on the Horde, with the former frying the latter in space here. They're shooting at each other. And uh, the cover copy reads Space War The Horde Attacks the New Aliens. In a font that was straight ripped off from Mike Grell's <laughs> Star Slayer comic.
1: <laughs> the font is definitely stolen, which is interesting <laughs> because this is the non-computer age. So what they do? Did they, they go yeah, borrow the a stencil? <laughs> <laughs> I yes. don't know what the, what they did here. Uh, I mean, the cover is pretty striking, to be quite honest with you. I, I didn't expect this cover, and mm-hmm. I don't recall ever seeing this cover, to be honest with you. But uh, anyway. It's, you know, one of those – it's not reflective of the main body of the story, which is interesting. So it's, it talks about the war between the Horde and this new group of aliens, so it's the backdrop to the main story. But it's based – this whole issue is based around Shear's betrayal. Mm-hmm. So, in fact, the Horde don't even attack the new foe. They simply get ready to do it, so it's very unusual yeah. But I like it. It's like a nice organic design to the the alien spaceship. It's very it almost feels like alive, you know what I mean? It's not yeah. your traditional, you know, series of boxes and cylinders that make up spaceships, you know what I mean? And you also get this so basically the image is this alien spaceship, and it almost looks spider-like or, you know, octopus-like with these it mm-hmm. has like tentacles coming from it. And it's shooting on the horde, and there's an alien, a horde alien that is obviously <laughs> being I don't even know what it looks like. It looks like a baby, maybe it being does. smashed out of its cradle. Maybe. I don't know. It's really, really the the baby looks like it's in a lot of pain there. So but what's actually happening here, it says that the horde is attacking the alien when, in fact, the cover is actually showing the new aliens attacking the horde, yep. which is very, very weird. So not only do this story not encapsulate the cover, but the words directly on the cover don't even translate to what they're trying to get across. It's very, very weird here. I don't know you I think wonder... this cover would have been like sheer you know betraying Doing somebody. something yeah. yes at least yeah, this... Sheer on the
0: cover no for sure for sure i mean i wonder if you know all the editors are in that assistant editor boot camp right now and they just didn't get to see this cover <laughs> they, they're just they're just so busy in the boot camp for uh defalco and grunwald and uh they, uh, they just don't have time to do their job here because they're just so scared of getting fired or, or dropped from the boot camp. I'm I'm guessing that's probably it.
1: Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> they were definitely plotting out four years of Marvel Comics right here with this one. Oh, Especially, 100%. And on the top of that list was definitely the, the premier uh, franchise of that whole, whole company, Strikeforce Moratory. I'm sure that was right on the top bill. <laughs> yes, I'm sure it was. <laughs>
0: Now, we do open this issue, and uh, we open on a Hordian satellite, with uh, one of their number gazing down at the Earth. Now, his view is soon blocked by, well, that massive, we assume, Vaxian ship that entered the fray during last issue's final page, and does take up, you know, a third of the cover this month. Now, it would appear that the Horde has at least passing familiarity with whichever race of aliens pilots this massive craft, right? Because uh, they're, not, they're not terribly Or this fella here is not terribly surprised He's like uh oh that's them <laughs> Now back aboard the super train
1: Super train <laughs> Sorry
0: Our man Shear is Well he's acting kind of weird um, He seems to be going through some uh, Strange thoughts of paranoia And he's also got a really bad headache uh, That's you know <laughs> The first time we're hearing about it But we'll play along anyway uh, now, he feels as though his teammates are the enemy. Traitors, in fact, and they need to be taken care of. Um, this, this, uh, you know, despite Will Degucci's uh, warning last issue, this feels kind of out of left field.
1: And if, listen, if this was pre-planned, <laughs> we certainly would never have known because they never ever showed anything to do leading up to this. You know what I mean? I mean, mm-hmm. seriously, would a panel or two in the previous issues of, you know, Sheer like, feigning a headache or, or having suspicion about his fellow, you know, moratory, would would that have killed him to insert right. at least one panel in the last? But there's not one indication that Shear is ready to snap in any of the issues leading up to this, which is really, really unusual. And see, this, you know what this means? I think this is actually... A last-minute character dump. This is what this looks like. They're like, okay, we got to do something here. The numbers are down. What are we going to do? I know what we'll do. We'll make sheer snap. And that that's exactly mm-hmm. what happened. You know, that was the, the extent of boot camp right there, folks. That's it. <laughs> now, uh, Commander Yuri enters the scene, and he
0: informs the team that a new starship has entered a Trojan orbit. Which we suppose is to say that it's large enough to be on a similar trajectory around the sun as the planet. So it's in a like similar rotation. Um, and indeed, this is one large craft. Yuri states that it is one quarter the size of the moon. <laughs> now, uh, considering the moon is 1079.4 miles per Wikipedia, uh, we might assume that this ship is approximately 269.85 miles. So yes,
1: <laughs> this is a big damn ship. That's no moon. That's a battle station. My God, (laughs) that is one massive ship. And, you know, its design is actually very unique. It's got, like, a very organic alien feel to it. So it's nonlinear. It's almost insect-like, to be quite honest with you. It's got a real Mm -hmm. cool vibe. If I'm thinking about what this looks like, if anyone has seen Robotech growing up, it has a real... Like uh, Robotech Masters feel where, you know, the spaceships were were not just, you know, like I said, a bunch of cylinders and, you know, blasters and all that stuff. They always had this weird alien, almost skin-like aesthetic to it, which was which I always loved, you know what I mean? So it's, you know, it's not your stereotypical spaceship, but uh, it's got a nice organic look. And I really like that as part of tech. And, you know, when it comes to uh, our fine man, uh, John, I can't even pronounce his last name. Pronounce it for me. Tell Right, him. Uh, you know, this is as good as it gets when it comes to tech <laughs> for him. So, hats off to him here. Yeah, it,
0: it it's almost kind of like a, oh boy, what's that shoot 'em up on the Nintendo? Like, uh, was it Life Force or oh, R-Type? Oh, Life
1: Force, yes. Life Force, Force coming from Where, Konami. Like,
0: yeah, so like every all the all the crafts were they looked like kind of like they were covered in like a skin of some sort. It's almost like like a like a G-rated uh, Geiger or Giger, whoever did Absolutely. it. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> that's that's exactly right oh, oh wait a second now you now you touched on something now i gotta go off track now i go gotta go it. off gotta go off <laughs> script here people we're shooting. konami's life force yeah we're shooting from the hip brother <laughs> so we uh, you know our love for konami you know, we talked about it on the show before mm-hmm. life force is an unheralded one contra always gets the the you know the do when it comes to oh all well, the service keep, yeah, yeah you know what i mean it always does but Konami has the Konami code as well. I think that's what people overlook. You can actually get 30 lives on life force as well, and people overlooked <laughs> that. And guess how I discovered that, Chris? Hmm, Nintendo Power or by by just uh, just trying it out. Well, I would love to say I tried it out because I did, and I think, that, <laughs> but I think there's one direction error or something that you do different for the for the 30 men here. I may be mistaken, okay. but the 30 men does work. But I had this massive how to win at video games almost a bible, and I used to snap <laughs> these things up. You know, any time that there was a code book on the shelf, I would snap it up. And man, sure. when I put that code in and thirty people appeared on Life Force, I was like, "Oh yeah, you're in some trouble now, Daddy." <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I really pounded the living hell out of um, out of Life Force. So it was another another conquering day. I never did buy the game. But uh, <laughs> like like Contra, it was uh, it was given due justice, sir. I will say that. Move on. <laughs> Very, I,
0: I've I've never I can never buy a shoot 'em up uh, because I just no. feel like I'd get bored of it too damn quick. It's like there's yeah, no not story. Wrong. I'm just flying.
1: <laughs> and life force is about as cheap as you can get. I mean, if <laughs> if anyone gets through life force with three men, like write the show because yeah. honestly, that Everyone is knows. the <laughs> yeah that is that is one of the most impossible things that I've ever seen before in my life. I mean, even with 30 men you know, multiple times trying to beat this game. It, it was still a chore. So sure. I can't imagine someone on three people, you know, just actually beating it. If anyone beats Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for oh, NES boy. with three people, yeah, I'll send you a no prize. So go <laughs> ahead go. go ahead and show me a screen capture of you beating that game on three men and I'll uh, I'll give you a high five and a no prize right through DM.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you just uh, set up like a, one of your dining room chairs, put a bunch of books on it, then put the camera on top of that, aim it at the TV. And when you beat it, <laughs> take the picture. That's that's what they told me in Nintendo Power. So <laughs> that's what we want to see. Uh, now we uh, we get back to our man Commander Yuri here, and he's speaking, he's pontificating, he's you know laying down the law. Uh, as he does so, Sheer wonders if the commander himself might be part of this vast conspiracy that he is suddenly built up in his head. Uh, you know, Yuri, we've been, in for- we've been thinking that too. Yeah, right. Now, Yuri informs the team that this super-huge ship does not belong to the Horde, which, of course, we already knew, but this is brand-new information for our moratori. Now, Sheer gets all up in Yuri's face, looking for an explanation, which the commander doesn't appear to have. He claims that the Horde are just as confused about all of this as the Padilla are— and he suggests that Dr. Tolima might have been tinkering with a beacon while, quote, on vacation from his duties at the institute. <laughs> so well done. yeah, so what what are we thinking here? Does does Yuri know the truth about Tolema's time away? Is he is he like doing Doc Talima a solid here? Is he covering for him so the moratorium don't know he went AWOL? Or is he just really just in the dark?
1: I don't know, but I'm glad number one. Let's start with I'm glad they're discussing it. So, yes, that's that's a good thing. I feel that Tolima is probably like almost coerced into coming back to the fold, if that makes any sense. You know, guaranteed he was chastised, you know, for the use of the beacon and, uh, you know, that he claims have accidentally activated. I like that little touch as well. Uh, I think yeah. Talima was, you know, lucky to escape persecution. And, you know, I think right now he's got to act almost like he's got to be rank and file. You know what I mean? He's got to do, you know, whatever that Padilla tells him. He's going to say, absolutely. Give me more he's ten lashes. Too. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? So he's, he's going to become a company man and hope and pray that they don't know his secrets, you know, that he's got the cure, that he's, you know, signaling, you know, aliens from other planets. So. I don't know. He's got a lot to cover up, and I, I and I don't think he knows the extent that the Paidea is onto his con. But uh, you know, I think the uh, the veil has been lifted on Doctor Tulima, but they're they're keeping him around for some reason. I think just because they don't have the knowledge to do what they need to do, so mm-hmm. he's important to them. So this is true. This is true. Now Yuri wonders aloud whether or not these new
0: visitors might be friend or foe, and that is something we will not be finding out today. Now, we shift scenes to a very calumny like barren conference room with a, a trio of Padean bigwigs. Uh, now, they too have deduced that this giant craft is not Hordean in origin, and they fear that this will result in one massive monkey wrench being tossed into their plans.
1: We also learned that the, uh, that they have prime ministers. i mean where where are they you know where is this coming from is it from canada is it from (laughs) the uk but you know we still have prime ministers in the future and uh not one mention of a president i don't know what that means
0: that's true yeah because i think uh i think like the padilla have like taken over all the major governments it's uh and we'll actually talk a little bit about that uh, when when we reintroduce Gillis and Anderson later on. Yes. Um, now, this prime <laughs> minister, has uh, he's ordered the mobilization of the Padean forces, whatever the hell that means. And uh, and also we learned that the terrible trio who will make up that covert ops moratory team, they've already reported to the Institute. So let's head there now. Over at the Institute, Dr. Talima is still shocked over his assistant randy's murder and is in fact still standing over his
1: corpse he's just still standing there has has, has days passed and he's still so
0: (laughs) we see like the sun going down and then the sun coming back up and the sun going he's still standing there
1: (laughs) you know what's funny poor randy just looks like he's asleep on the floor you take take a look at the cover for last issue okay you got Randy on the cover of Last Issue. He's, uh, you know, Dr. Tolima standing over his smoldering body. I mean, this guy is like Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru type of smoldering. You know what I mean? He is like burned to a crisp. And here he's just sort of relaxing, dead on he's the floor. You know what I mean? yeah. yeah. I mean, this is just another example. I mean, there is no synergy whatsoever between the cover artists yeah. and the interior artists. You know, the interior creative team and the cover team. Obviously, have never had a conversation whatsoever. They have literally one line. Here's what I would like to see: Talima between two monsters and someone dead on the floor, and that's the best that's they came it. up with. You know, when they had no idea that Randy was just sleeping, you know, almost like in a slumber on the floor. They, no <laughs> they had smoldered his ass. But apparently, he's okay again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now the Padian forces rush in, and seeing only the doctor,
0: come to the assumption that our old man Talima done did the deed and killed Randy.
1: <laughs> well, how convenient to them, you know, the push murder on the guy who's clearly messing with the Padilla on many levels. So, mm-hmm. are they going to frame him to keep him under thumb to do their bidding? I think that is the one of the best concepts that I think that we've got from uh, you know from a Tolima perspective. So that actually mm-hmm. gives reason. Why he's still putting up with these people. You know what I mean? He's afraid he's going to go to the clink. So. Sure, or
0: worse, yeah. Yeah. And uh, our man, uh, our new friend, Vax117, he's gone. You know, he <laughs> he fled the scene as soon as he got uh, Randy's memories and, and you know genetic code
1: or whatever he sucked out of his body. Um, and uh, uh, and I, I love that character, too. It's too bad. Yep. I, and, I, and I hope you're right that that alien spaceship that's lingering over Earth is actually, you know, Vaxian in nature. So hopefully mm-hmm. that's the case. Yeah, because I... Vax, he's
0: going to be absent this entire issue. We're not going to see a single scene of him. Um, now, that fellow with the odd fitting suit from way back in issue 21, if you remember him, he's the one who uh, who threatened to kill uh, our diapered friend uh, if he didn't sign the dotted line and become a moratorium. He enters the scene and uh, he looks like his
1: suit is fitting a little bit better because Hugh Thomas didn't draw it. He went Um, to a tailor. He went to, you know, (laughs) he doesn't look like Hammer Man now from Saturday Morning Cartoons. (laughs) You know, the suit is nice and tailored, slim fit, baby. He's ready for downtown Detroit. He he is. (laughs) Now, he enters
0: the scene and he tells the guards to stand down. He uh, doesn't seem all that worried about Randy's death. Uh, (laughs) He's like, yeah, we'll deal with it. Don't worry. Uh, because he has a pressing need of Dr. Tolema's talents. Uh. Now, unfortunately for the Doc, he is now between a rock and a hard place. So, either the Padilla run him up the flagpole for murder, or he helps them out with their new project. Now, what is that project? Well, that project is, of course, running that terrible tr- terrible trio through the moratory process. And we cool. see our, uh, our new threesome, and it's worth noting that Red Cougar has already been given plastic surgery, and his face
1: is uh, all wrapped up like a yummy mummy. Okay, so one thing about this entire thing, so they made a guy, Red Cougar, who's a known, I guess, you know, serial killer, I guess you would say. A you homeless know, a, killer, yeah. Yeah, home, yeah, the homeless killer, That that's his distinction. And now, he, he claims that he's framed, however, mm-hmm. we clearly saw that he murdered, or at least, you know, did some serious damage to his cellmate last issue. Yep. <laughs> But now they made him get facial surgery. Now, I I now what would be the point of getting facial surgery, Chris? Normally what why why would you do that? Oh, so people wouldn't recognize you. Right. right? Mm-hmm. The only problem with this is is that when <laughs> when they unveil his character, the wind, he's a mask character anyway, so you never get to see his face. Yep. So you got the poor Red cougar going under the knife to <laughs> Yeah, we're know, not we're get... not spoiling much here. Yeah, it's <laughs> Oh my god. Anyway. Yeah, what, uh, what a ridiculous you, thing. Yeah,
0: if you look at some uh, of the upcoming covers of Strike Force Morator, you'll see the trio in their uh, their new costumes here and they are they're not great costumes. Um <laughs> I mean, it looks like uh it looks like uh, the the one that the one that will soon known
1: as know as the tiger, that's our our Pakistani freedom fighter. He, he looks, looks like, like he's char- wearing like a halter top. Oh man, he looks like the great tiger from Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. But it looks like he's wearing his outfit is like holding his boobs up. Oh, it's, it's uh,
0: uh, very it's feminine. Brutal. It is. It is. Um, but yeah, that's a that that is our one sighting of the uh, of the covert ops, ops moratory team here. So uh, they will be put through the moratory process by Dr. Tolima, We could assume. Uh, we jump back to the super train.
1: Super train.
0: Where to, and it, it arrives at its next stop in St. Louis to pick up a new pair of recruits. Oh, and, and uh, a,
1: a pair they certainly are.
0: They are indeed. Now, our man Dan the Scan thinks back to his dream discussion with Will DeGucci from last issue, and he wonders if these might be the new ones that he was instructed by Will not to trust. And uh, while he's while he's thinking, he also thinks a little bit
1: more about the warning he received about Sheer hmm what i find interesting here and i and in the notes i've 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 given you both pages so you can see so oh yeah the last issue we have a conversation between will de and dan the scan and you know it's it's pretty lengthy and then they go to revisit it here in this issue they give a little you know a brief two panel synopsis of their conversation but they change the dialogue they do <laughs> they you know the words stay clear of sheer you know he's getting dot 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 is changed to stay clear of walter he's getting dot 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 and they've you know they've they've just played around with it and uh you know some of the poses which is not john calumny's strength are just really odd like just the way he poses people did he have someone standing in front of him and doing these poses i hope not (laughs) because these are really (laughs) awkward man they are and yeah
0: that that was the first thing that jumped out at me when i looked at this too is that like he didn't call him walther before he, he said sheer and it's it's, yeah. it's and it's the same creative team of, from top to bottom from 24 to 25 so it's i guess the, them assistant editors they're in boot they're in boot camp is yeah. it walter or walther i don't know it's
1: uh i'm thinking that we have a silent maybe it's a, a silent, silent h so we'll, there, just,
0: yeah. we'll just call him walter then yeah uh, but I'm guessing the uh the assistant editors that are all at the boot camp right now are just they're sorely missed.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they stepped out for tea during this one.
0: They did. Now let's meet those two news. First one is Fiona Windsor from England. Uh, this is a uh, young lady who is gifted with telekinesis and now goes by the codename Lifter. And uh, she wears a baby blue leotard with cloud boobs and a lightning bolt pointing toward her crotch.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, um, oh, the other funny. one, the other one is Yoko Watanabe from Japan. She's a pyrokinetic who now enters answers to the uh, the super high effort
1: name Burn. <laughs> <laughs> Man, yeah. that is unbelievable. Think about this for a second is the only name, the only Japanese name that they could possibly come up with for this character was Yoko. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> even get her to do, like, her Konnichiwa, which is yeah. hilarious as well. What is this, Hokai Lan? Like, are they, you know, going to change her last name to Wasabi soon to be done with it? I don't know. But you're like <laughs> you said, this is really, really low-hanging fruit when you're talking yeah. about, uh, you know, drawing names. And then you get Lifter, who gets in on the dialogue game as well. Now, remember lifter is from the uk okay Mm -hmm. so she says i can move things with me mind (laughs) blimey yes i can move things with me mind Mm -hmm. like oh man that that's that's hilarious has any of the creative team actually seen an actual person from japan or the uk (laughs) i I just posed that question But then you got, let's talk about the names. So you got Burn and Lifter. I mean, you know, very, very simple. You know, they didn't really, you know, go to the well, you know, <laughs> too deep to find those names. But Yoko visually reminds me of Katana, honestly, from Batman The Outsiders. You know what I mean? She's mm-hmm. got the red and yellow motif. Now Lifter. Mm-hmm. I, I love what you said about her costume. So Lifter has a white costume, <laughs> which only has one sleeve. And, uh, you know, she has one bare arm and a shoulder out and uh, a tight white leotard and this giant, giant blue arrow, which points directly at her crotch. I mean, what is her her suit actually says? Well, it doesn't actually say that. But, you know, the vibe that it puts off actually says down here. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Either way, you know what, I, I still like both costumes, to be quite honest with you. It wasn't uh, you know, I wasn't disappointed when they brought in an actual superhero suit. Now, yeah. superhero costumes have not been the strength of this book, let's put it that way. <laughs> These are some <laughs> of the most ginchy, you know, uh, I don't even know how to describe them. I mean, they didn't really put a lot of thought into superheroic costumes in this book. And it would be hilarious to see Strike Force Moratory done as a cosplay because they would be the crappiest. Costumes oh, yeah. at Comic Con, I guarantee you. <laughs> but anyway,
0: no, it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like if you flip through like uh, what's it? Heroes Unlimited, that RPG. Oh yeah, it was just yeah. like these boilerplate superheroes in in very <laughs> very basic generic costumes that you could play with, and it's like uh, John Callamy did that, but decided like that the just the boilerplate uh, little model was good enough, you know? Like,
1: like when you when you get like those games where you can create your own character, this seems like yeah, you know like the first character on the screen almost like the the prototype that you 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 know you've got to add parts or take away yeah yep (laughs) it's like it's like scene
0: one page one (laughs) totally totally and yes uh yes burn's burn does look a whole lot like a katana also a little bit kind of like a sunfire in a way uh just without the weird crab mask Uh, yeah it's it's basic you know stereotypical costumes 101 um
1: yeah, now, it's uh, like it, say, say for example, if you were building this costume, think about it. Think about John sits in front of like a costume designing game or whatever, and he's got Lifter on his screen as just he puts a white Leotard on her, and the only thing he bothers to put on is a blue arrow pointing to her crotch. That's it. No utility belt, no pouches, no wrist gauntlets, no cool headgear or visor, no sir. Yeah. Just one blue arrow. God
0: bless him. Now these uh these newbie fifth genners are uh, introduced to our remaining third and the other fifth genners with a quick and dirty reminder of all their powers. So we you know, we get um you know, I'm revenge and this is what I can do. I'm scanner, I can do this, and I'm brava. This is my deal. But uh now after a brief meet and greet, Byrne approaches Shear in order to offer her hand in friendship. She's uh wanted to look she's been looking forward to meeting this fella for quite a while and uh you know as she approaches he
1: pie faces her and shoves her down to the ground do you get the feeling that these you know this our team and just overall they don't really like women because man when they hit women <laughs> they hit women in this book buddy i mean this is not only a pie face this is like a full extension of the arm and just you know why oh, yeah, not just kick her, in the her neck yeah oh man it was like brutal pie face like you <laughs> You you'd really you'd almost have to get a running start to deliver a pie face like this. <laughs> no. Crazy. Now Brava
0: attempts to interject, only to get socked in the face by old Walter here. Oh
1: oh. oh. Look at was, that Poor lady Hayton
0: It almost looks like our man Shear might just be losing it. And uh, our man Commander Yuri steps in and he demands an explanation.
1: Now, visually, I want to point this out. So Yuri. Does not look like himself here. So from the first, you know, from the first Gillis and uh, Anderson, Yuri, that we met clearly has changed. So, you know, right now he's not doing his best Peter Gillis meets Dom DeLuise that (laughs) that we once knew. Looks like Yuri has been on the like the Noom diet because he keeps getting smaller (laughs) and less imposing for every every part of his journey here. I wonder if John even got the memo on the character. You know what I mean? Hey John, here's Yuri. Here's his character references. Drama like this, but clearly they missed a the boat on that. And we get to see Sheer as well. Is he's just up and down all over the place in this book, like visually. Mm-hmm. First oh, yeah. we get to see him like he looks like his regular white base, ba- you know, white bread baby face type of thing. And then all of a sudden he looks Native American in other scenes, and he's just facially all over the map here. Yeah. And his color is like, you know, they they found some crayons, then they lost them. You know what I mean? It's just <laughs> really strange.
0: It's true, yeah. Sometimes he's, uh, sometimes he's very pink-faced. Sometimes yes. he's just, you know, uh, the 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 palest of of peach. You know, it's it's all over the place here. It's, yep. and I mean, Sheer, even under uh, Anderson's pencil, wasn't, you know, wasn't always the, the most striking character. You know, oh no. It, It's just like he, they had to give him like that white streak in his hair just to tell him apart from everybody else. Otherwise, he just looked like a generic dude with a kind of a big nose. Um,
1: (laughs) Seth Rollins.
0: Yes. (laughs) So this is, uh, yeah, this is just very, very weird. Um, It changes from panel to panel how he looks. It's odd. Um, Now, Shear, who is now sporting a bloody nose, he responds to Commander Yuri by reaching out and shearing Yuri's heart killing him dead
1: and like i was actually shocked with this that you know a lot of this stuff really don't don't catch me but it's sad we you know we really never got to see a lot of yuri in these books so you know we yep. didn't get the development we had think about beth neon i mean mm-hmm. we learn layers about her she had a romance she was held back you know what i mean she was conflicted with her direction from you know uh from the folks who are running the shots and all that type of stuff, you know what I mean? She was yeah. trying to be she was trying to be a, you know, a fearless leader, but you know, have sympathy as well. But here, poor Yuri, we almost got nothing. He yeah. he, he started out like this this, I don't know, Pidean sock puppet, I guess, who was a little <laughs> bit conflicted, but by God, he didn't care. He always cashed his check on Thursday, you know what I mean? <laughs> so it was a little bit of a letdown to see him die here, honestly. So Instead, you know, he just dies as, you know, the yes man with a beautiful train. Now that Yuri's gone, I mean, <laughs> think about it. My, my concern is, you know, what's going to happen with the train? I mean, my God, I'm, I'm so attached to the uh, the moratory super train right now. Oh, so yeah. What's going to happen, Chris? <laughs> that Say is, it that ain't is. so. <laughs> Say it ain't so. We got to keep the train. We got to find a way to keep the train. Uh,
0: there's <laughs> got to be another person who can, who can drive a train. But, yeah, it is a... It is very—because, I mean, it seems like we're just barely getting a little bit of a uh, depth on Yuri here, where, like, even just a few moments ago, we were talking about his uh, perhaps even covering for Talima, yep. you know? And it's like, okay, so is he a good guy or is he a bad guy? He, he's, he, he's a guy who will just follow orders, but we don't know what he really feels. Um, so it feels like there was a lot left on the table with Yuri here, which— I, you know, I can't, I can't get too mad at it because that's kind of the point of this book. You know, oh, yeah. it's like it is all, it is all about loss and uh, and lost potential, and you know, it's a shame in in, in one regard because there won't be any more expl- ex- exploration on Yuri, but at the same time, it's uh, just part and parcel of the uh, the mission statement of this book. So, but uh, Yuri, we uh, we knew you uh, very little, and uh, we'll miss you um, <laughs> now. Walter, you're seeing what he just did, he shears himself through a wall and makes a break for it. Uh, We get some internal dialogue from him at some point, and his paranoia is positively peaking. He no longer sees his teammates as the enemies, he now sees them as literal demons, uh, with horns and, and, you know, surrounded with flame. (laughs) Now, our man Dan the Scan steps in, and he blames himself for Yuri's death. After all, Will Deguchi did warn him uh, somewhat nebulously about Shear. And uh, while our Padian forces swarm
1: around Yuri's corpse, Shear has somehow made it all the way up to the rafters. Uh, you know why he made his way up to the rafters? He's wearing mm. a pair of Deguchis. Oh. He's, he's got the jet shoes, man, that Deguchi <laughs> put on after he injured his leg back in, I don't know, <laughs> issue seven or eight. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, yeah, he was wearing he was wearing a nice pair of lifter shoes with the yes. the the the, the specials. That's how that's how I put it away. That's my head cannon again, you know, making up for this clear breaking narrative. <laughs> <laughs> so like lifter is about as useful as a pair of shoes. <laughs> Aren't the new character.
0: Um, now, Dan the Scan decides he's going to give chase, and he somehow manages to jump like twenty five feet into the air to get to the rafters himself. Perhaps he's also wearing the jet shoes. Yes, exactly. Um, and, and as mentioned, you know, they do have a team member named Lifter, but it doesn't appear as though she had anything to do with any of this. Oh, you um, think it would have
1: had that one panel or her hand in the background with some, with like you know, a micro, microwaves lines, coming for yeah <laughs> Something.
0: <laughs> now, it's also worth noting here that Revenge's costume is intermittently colored all throughout this issue. Oh, I don't think mess. that's part of his powers. Do you?
1: <laughs> it is an absolute mess. Holy cow. Yeah, I mean. Some- yeah,
0: sometimes it's red, sometimes it's blue. At this point, it's blue. So it's like, is it supposed to be Lifter? Because
1: <laughs> she's wearing the bl- I don't It's weird. <laughs> the colorist has clearly given up Checked on life out. at this point or run out of crayons before print. But, you know, editing was clearly not the priority on this book, Chris. Holy ding dong. Yeah, we got, we got it. We
0: got to, got to get these guys out of boot camp. <laughs> we need <laughs> them back at their desks, damn it. <laughs> Oh, now uh, Dan confronts Shear up in the rafters and he gets an earful from our problematic moratory. Shear blames Dan for his headaches as they only began when Dan joined up. Shear then blasts Dan off the rafters, or he shears the rafters under Dan, so Dan falls. Now, if he was wearing those rocket boots... He forgot to engage him on the way down because Lifter has to save the day. So she's there and she stops him and all the broken beams from hitting the ground. So she earns her stay for the issue.
1: He was probably uh, going to yell at her and go, no, I got lift shoes. It's for drama. It's for drama.
0: <laughs> now, Byrne asks Lifter to, well, lift her to the rafters. And so she does. So uh, Byrne is being hoisted toward Shear and yells, Burn. Oh. Which, uh.
1: It's not quite flame on, but I guess it'll do. They can't um, even catch phrases right. Oh, I mean, is awful. it that hard? Is that what you gotta say? You know, <laughs> your your powers and your name is Burn. So the yep. only thing you can say is Burn. <laughs> Come on.
0: Now, she doesn't actually do anything besides miss Shear with a blast of flame. <laughs> that's all she does. So we get this build up, her getting hurled at Shear, and she goes and misses him. So that's that.
1: Um, Listen, man, if I was a superhero I would certainly have a better catchphrase. It would be, I don't know, it would be almost power ranges. You'd be like, fire, powers, engage, now! (laughs) You know what I mean? No. Burn!
0: Burn! (laughs) Sheer cuts his way to the roof of the St. Louis facility at this point. Uh, brava revenge and dan the scan soon meet him on the roof probably with their rocket boots uh now sheer still freaking out he cuts up the roof where brava and revenge are standing sending them to their apparent deaths dan the scan however remains and delivers a drop kick which sends sheer off the side of the building he <laughs> sheer that is plummets several stories to the ground below and goes splat well he actually goes
1: walk but uh <laughs> close enough I like that. At least, at least they put a little bit of uh, something else to it. You know what I mean? What? And, yeah. Yeah, that sounds like he's, you know, not only breaking rib cages, but stuff is exploding inside there with that. <laughs> anyway, what happened to the lift shoes? I mean, <laughs> that, that was that was that was my <laughs> only explanation for Shear to get to the rafters in the beginning. And not only that, think about this: every single one of these characters had elevated powers. You know what I mean? He yeah. didn't. He not only had shearing power. But each one of them had like, you know, heightened, you know, super strength and abilities. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So he dies just from a fall. But yet they throw him into war with the uh, with the Hordians. So he dies from a fall. That's all it that would kill him. I mean, think about this. All these guys were blown up a couple issues ago, like yeah. literally in piles of rubble, and they all survived. <laughs> but yet he falls off a falls off a girder here, and he's he did. He is which dead. Is,
0: which is weird. Now uh, as, as Dan laments the entire situation He's surprised to learn that Revenge and Brava survived Because uh, they didn't actually fall They were able to grab onto the beams And uh, were able to pull themselves back up <laughs> uh, We,
1: we jumped to I'm, later I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm picturing Don't know why this just popped in my head But I'm, but I'm picturing Lifter having a conversation here It'd be like Oh they're still alive I almost pooped my drawers <laughs> Anyway move on It's the only thing I can do And I forgot
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank goodness those beams were there Um, Now we jump to later on where the moratorium are briefed And they and we learn that Shear had been suffering from a malignant brain tumor That was brought on in an explosion During that moratorium horde battle at the TV station a few issues
1: back That's pretty pointed
0: It is, it is. Now, this is all, of course, coming from the Padilla, so perhaps it's best to take it with a grain or shaker of salt, (laughs) because they're not known for being, uh, you know, terribly honest. Oh, no. Now, speaking of being honest, at this point, Dan decides to come clean. He tells the team about his recent visit from Will Degucci, and uh, he shares with them some of the warnings he was given. He doesn't mention anything about not trusting the newbies, because he's talking to the newbies. So, uh... (laughs) He does keep that to himself. Um, from here, we shift over to the bedia and check in with that fake-ass Lamont, who is uh,
1: a—he's
0: <laughs> gazing at a picture of Yuri's corpse. Like, he's just gazing at a picture of a dead man. Uh, I guess we all have our fetishes. Now, an assistant enters the office, and Lamont expresses relief that they were able to sidestep a PR disaster. And he's also very pleased that Yuri is now out of the picture since he can now be replaced with someone more, quote, trustworthy. Ooh. So we got we to gotta ask the question here. Was this entire thing a setup? I mean, was Shear's malignant brain tumor a line of BS? Was Or was this just a way to remove Yuri from his position?
1: Was Yuri a good guy all along? Uh, a lot of questions. Well, I mean, something had to happen to Shear other than, you know, whether it was a brain tumor or they drugged the guy or whatever, something had to happen because that was out of left field. He just turned way on his team, left. became paranoid, saw horns and demons. I mean, you know, I would I would lead towards being drugged or something with the with I the so, uh yeah, the with period. the process. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's how they should explain their way out of it. You know what I mean? Because think about this. The issue before you see Shear going with lunch in the cafeteria. So mm-hmm. If you're with his eyes pointed to the roof as, as a snob and all that stuff, that's a, that's the most <laughs> yes. indication you had. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's true. I mean, he just <laughs> let himself question the idea. And, you know, despite following all the orders, he wasn't even meant to be 100 percent in the pocket when you're talking about Yuri. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's I don't know. I don't know. So much so much left on the table here. So much without explanation. Poor Yuri just was just the the yes man. He didn't even get to grow in his role. Too bad. So sad. That's true.
0: Now, Lamont makes a call on the vid screen to the new commander of the Moratory, and it is a man called Wolf, oh. who, uh, who looks pretty much
1: exactly how you might imagine a bad guy named Wolf might look. <laughs> Boy, you know the old saying, to get the job done right, you got to do it yourself I guess that's what's (laughs) going on here And when you consider this cast of crumbs, you know, that we have here uh, You know, they're either Padilla or they're not You know, the middlemen are definitely going away here with this new regime So, you know, it's their way or the highway, baby That's what we're seeing right here That's a fact
0: Now, in addition to Wolf handling the moratorium here we, We learned that a man named Vic West We'll be overseeing the Black Ops moratorium, though we don't meet him just yet. Uh, now, the issue, we wrap up this issue back aboard the Hordean satellite. Remember them, the Horde? Well, they're oh, back oh. for the last page. Uh, hey, it wasn't I thought this whole
1: issue was about this attack with the Horde <laughs> right. and the Vaxians.
0: Now, uh, the Horde are preparing to take the fight to that new giant, perhaps Vaxian ship. And uh, that is where we wrap up here. Uh <laughs> Our our next issue blurb is the last moratory and uh, don't know what that means. But uh, looking at the cover of uh, next next week's issue here, there's a blurb that says the end of the war. So (laughs) does that mean and we also go back up uh, a quarter uh, in price. But uh,
1: does that mean that the war actually ends next issue? Oh, they, do, they don't even know themselves. I would not trust a moratory cover for anything. They <laughs> so don't have a it, clue. It's its just like a variant cover at this point where it just means nothing. It's just its just on there for a laugh. Why don't they put, like, Archie Andrews on there and, like, have him, like, <laughs> you know, become a moratory. I mean, it, it doesn't matter. It's not going to happen in the book anyway. Who cares?
0: And uh, I'm, I'm flipping through it right now. I'm not reading it, but I'm flipping through it. And we got—we uh, have a lot of pages of pinups here. Um, we have a lot of house ads. Um. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. Uh, I don't know what to what to expect from next issue, but uh, nonetheless, I am looking forward to it. Uh, what are your
1: thoughts on uh, on this story? I mean, a lot of stuff happened here. A lot. Of, oh, I don't, no, we we had lots of, lots of meat on the bone here. So hmm. start start with the I, I guess the arrival of the Vaxians, or I, I, we assume that's who they are. They could be the Melmacians, as I predicted. <laughs> could be. I, I, I don't know, but we only got a tease of that. So we know that this this impending war is happening. You know what I mean? You also see a change in the rank and file of the Pydia. Mm-hmm. So our good man Yuri, he's put away. So you know. What are they doing here? So they recast him with the, you know this new guy. So, we, you know, we get a we get a shift in Pidea power. So this seems a lot like what's going on in the Marvel bullpen at this time. You know, <laughs> the, the rest of the guys are shipped off over to work with Hammett copy. <laughs> and you know what I'm saying. So you get that. Then you had Sheer, who decides he's going to go crazy and mentally. He's seeing demons. He's attacking his, you know, his teammates. He's pie facing the Japanese girl. He's doing it all. This guy. He's flying to the rafters without boots. Who kn- who knows? <laughs> anyway, we get Sheer's death. Then you get two brand new characters. We get you know the uh, the old UK girl herself. God bless her heart. You know she's <laughs> she, she, she she loves me tea. You know what I mean? So we got her. We got we got uh, Katana from uh, from Batman: from the, the Outsiders outside. joining the team. <laughs> then we got the introduction of three brand new killer moratory. Oh boy, they're getting ready to uh, getting ready to debut here. And uh, of course, the old uh, the, what's his name, Red Red Cougar. What? Yeah, Red Cougar. Red Cougar got uh, plastic surgery this issue as well, despite going to be wearing a mask anyway but anyway i digress so yeah <laughs> lots happening new characters change into paidea yuri and sheer die you got a pending invasion it's all blowing up in this issue
0: oh yeah and, and this is the eighth issue in
1: a row featuring a moratory death well we actually got well two deaths for the price of one here if you and if three two, uh, three two and 23 as well three yeah. yes three if you count uh if you count the uh what's his name randy Randy, poor randy who still did <laughs> We weren't sure in the last issue, but it's confirmed that he's dead in this issue.
0: No, it's wild here. I'm looking here. Uh, Scaredy Cat, we lost her in 19. Blackthorn in 20. Toxin in 21. Backhand in 22. Hardcase and Silencer in
1: 23. Who'd we lose last week? Who died last week? I can't last remember. Week. No, it was no. last week was, um, was Silencer, wasn't it? No, no, that no. was uh that was, that two, was two weeks, weeks ago. ago. Yes, yeah, two weeks ago. Who the hell did we lose last week? We lost
0: somebody. Oh, we lost to Gucci. We lost to Gucci.
1: Yeah, yeah and, Gucci
0: uh, and then this week we lose uh we lose Sheer and uh and as well as Yuri and the confirmation that uh Randy is uh <laughs> is no longer with us. <laughs> but it's so funny how um I- I'm looking through our little list of alumni that we've been building up in our archives here and the amount of deaths that have happened since um, Gillis, uh, Gillis and Anson left has been way more than there was
1: before they, you know, their whole entire run on the book. Um, it's just it's just blending right along with the fall of the shooter era we're getting to see it play out it's like someone is really upset and he wants to put it in a comic book how he feels you know what i mean <laughs> this is how i'm going to do it with my art i'm going to show how i feel within the office of the bullpen in the in the pages of strike force <laughs> moratorium so he just kills everybody it feels
0: like um like this was the expectation of the book and it's like being played up played up to like a point where it's no longer as special. I mean, when, yeah. when we lost Lorna in the fourth issue, it was like, oh, wow, we lost someone already. And that was four issues. And uh, here, we're, we're barely getting like four pages without a death. It's, <laughs> it's like we've, we've totally overcorrected here. Because I, I think early on, I mean, in the first year of this book, we lost three characters. We lost Lorna, we lost Harold, and we lost uh, Big Robert in issue, thir- in issue 12. Yep. so the first year of the book three people dead we lost three people this
1: issue you know um it just well, think, seems like think about such it an they're not, but they're not uh, moratory deaths for the most part so you had silencer and you had um hard case yeah they mm-hmm. died in in you know hordian lasers yep. you know what i mean so they oh, were yeah, killed, They were killed of the, the process laser. yeah D'Gucci, he's not dead i don't care what anybody says <laughs>
0: But he's you know this
1: and Tupac on the yeah. island. <laughs> they're saying that he died of the moratory process, but he didn't really you know he didn't blow up. And then this issue, you had Shear drop kicked off a of scaffolding. You know what I mean? <laughs> and Yuri he got was the old killed. Jim Cornette uh, fall <laughs> from the scaffold. Yeah. <laughs> he broke his ass. He broke his ass. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, and then you get Yuri who gets killed by Shear. So they're killing each other, or the mm-hmm. Hordians are killing him. You know what I mean? Or we have a fake uh, Will DeGucci death. So. It's true. Are, you know what I mean? <laughs> like the process is not the thing that's taking them here. They're no. just finding storyline ways to ditch these people. <laughs> it's just so weird. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, this was a uh,
0: I-, I liked this issue. I don't think it was as good as uh, the last two issues, which were like surprisingly good. Uh, this one just had a little bit too much of the of the wibbly-wobbly in it, I think.
1: Uh, <laughs> it did, yeah. This was a rush to the printers. Boy, we got a deadline yeah. ahead of us. That's what this is.
0: No doubt. And and uh, and like we've said you know, a bunch of times already, uh, Shear's uh, sudden change of heart was a little too sudden. It, yeah. it feels like very much like they decided, okay, this is the issue where Shear turns bad, rather than, hey, in three issues, Shear's going to turn bad. Maybe we should uh, drop some breadcrumbs
1: along the way. 100%. Um, all we knew before was that Sheer was a dick. We didn't know he was insane. It's so, you know uh, what? These, these books are being written issue for issue. I don't think there's oh, any I think thought so. I don't think there's any thought put into what's going to happen. I mean, Marvel clearly doesn't care to promote it. Yeah. So, you know, are they investing any writers' time? I mean, I'd say these writers you know here's a half hour to write moratory, you know after you're done writing marvel comics presents you know what i mean that's, yeah. that's that's all the leftover time they had to do these books and it's a shame but they still managed to bang out good stories so i'm not saying sure. that they're bad because i'm still enjoying them and like you said oh, yeah. this this was not two issues ago but it was uh you know still good in its own Solid. right but it, yeah. but wibbly wobbly flimsy flimsy and and i do feel like uh like Hudnell is
0: trying to clear the deck a bit before he like before he invests yeah. in any long term planning Oh, yeah. um, and we're going to learn a little bit more about that in just a minute here because he 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 does go on record as, as basically saying as much. So these issues are, uh, you know, what I would call like the nebulous interim. You know, this is uh this is just like the the transition from one era to the other that just happens to be shepherded by the latter creative team. You know, and uh, we'll we'll find out more about that uh, actually right now because uh, we have a letters page. Believe it what? or not. I know it You (laughs) lie out of your face, false prophet (laughs) We have a page of letters replied from James Hudnall himself So he is actually replying Oh my god, get set (laughs) to sweat, James (laughs) Though he does open with a uh, claim that Unfortunately, a batch, quote, batch of letters were lost When Marvel (laughs) mailed them to him (laughs) Likely story, right? (laughs) He threw them at the goddamn window right there That's what happened I I was uh I remember hearing that uh like Marv Wolfman would uh when he uh like when he would do letters pages for the Teen Titans he just would grab like the top 10 letters off the pile and answer them. He didn't like he didn't weed them out, he didn't cherry pick. He just picked the like he'd go into the office, take 10 envelopes and go home <laughs> and then he would
1: answer those Man. 10 letters. Well this this, this, this looks like somebody curated. read all the letters. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Picked out the most inflammatory ones and said, "Here you go, James. Figure this crap out. <laughs> yes, choke on it, James." <laughs>
0: um, now, our first letter comes from Dean in the Philippines. Uh, he was nervous about the Gillis and Anderson departure, but is
1: more than happy with their replacements. Oh, what a liar, Dean! Yeah. <laughs> your 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 palms have been filled with dollar bills to say that. <laughs> So Fire. we do start off. We we start off high. Okay, um, yeah. Letter two comes
0: from L. A. in Oakland. Okay. Uh, he enjoyed the Hudnall story, but hated the Hugh Thomas art. And uh, it makes <laughs> me wonder here. Um, the Hugh Thomas art was atrocious. It was bad. Uh, I'm not an artist, but I I, I can tell you, I I can I can tell you what I like and what I don't. And this that Hugh Thomas work was oh boy
1: um that was some some of of the worst worst you'll ever see
0: yeah yeah some of the worst you'll see in marvel um ever uh it's it was very very rough um so it makes me wonder here had we read issue 21 with mark bagley on art or even with john Calamy on art would we and perhaps the wider readership the fandom of strike force would we have different feelings overall if it didn't start with that horrific art
1: it makes me. I certainly would have.
0: It makes me want to like reread, like, like commission Mark Bagley to redraw that issue and just read it, <laughs> and be like, <laughs> okay, this wasn't quite so bad. Maybe, maybe if they would have done this in the first place, people wouldn't have run for the hills when issue twenty one <laughs> came out and never came back. You know what? They
1: need to. Um, I don't. I think the only way to save that book is to get George Perez, <laughs> Neil Adams, uh, John, John Romita Bern. Sr., <laughs> John Byrne. And get them all to do like a like a like a just a page each, a like a big yep. jam piece. You know what <laughs> I mean? More <laughs> it'll be like a moratory jam session. It'd be like uh, Moratory United or something. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Oh, or man, or uh, we that got that maybe rough. we
0: can we can maybe commission Brent Anderson to do it. Oh,
1: yeah. imagine. <laughs> oh my God, I'd almost ask him that. Right? right? Can, can <laughs> you just you please redraw <laughs> issue twenty one for me? I'd pay you at because- least two dollars. The there statute. you go at
0: the crap. very least two two dollars Canadian um <laughs> <laughs> it just it really makes me wonder here because I mean as we're as we're putting out these last few episodes here people are telling us these are books they've never read because they left yeah. and uh and I can believe it because when we read issue 21 it was just like oh man is this what we're in for for the next you know 15 weeks oh, yeah. it's uh it's not it was not good Um, so it makes me wonder, I mean, would this, I mean, would this book have gone another year or two, would this book still be going on today in its, you know, eighth or ninth incarnation, if not for that one issue, it's cause it was just so
1: bad. (laughs) Yeah, it was, it was the straw that broke the camel's back in half Mm -hmm. twice. (laughs) You know what I mean? Really, 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 really bad. I, I, guys like find this issue, burn Mm -hmm. it. At a local <laughs> at a local burning. It is that bad. Wow. We it's
0: and, and I mean this is a this is a more expensive book than, than the than the popular Marvel books. You know, the, the regular Marvel books were going for like 75 cents at this point. This was like a buck and a quarter. You'd have to find a comic shop and find this in a comic shop. So I mean you were you were actually breaking the back and the bank to get this book, and then you open it up and you're like, what in the hell happened to Strike Force Moratory? so yeah i could definitely see that being a, a big deal here but uh our man james hudnell replies to la by uh, telling him that mark bagley and val myrick will be the new creative art team and uh not to worry about any more Hugh.
1: <laughs> oh my god can you imagine someone actually saying that like wow you're talking about shots fired brother holy cow this is, I mean, this is a letters page and it is pure condemnation here. I mean, we don't often see this in print at all. Just brutal and not brutal in a good way, like brutal as in, whoa, disaster. They're actually cutting up their own creative team and their own letters page here. That's what that's what's going on. Wow.
0: That's wild. And, and I looked I was looking for more Hugh. Um, uh, what's his face? Hugh Thomas work. And um, to see if maybe he did work into the 90s or, or, you know, into whenever, just to see if he improved or changed his style or maybe he had a, a different inker or a colorist. And the only other credit I could find for him is Alpha Flight number 77, which was also <laughs> written by James
1: Hudnall. And
0: <laughs> and it is really ugly.
1: Oh, I can't wait to see it. I've never I've never seen that issue. I do. I, I was a uh, a pond jumper when it came to Alpha Flight because I really <laughs> did not like that book, but Byrne was drawing it, so here I was collecting the sure. damn thing. And then I had sporadic issues after that, but I mean, I had no idea that our good friend Mr. Hugh did that. Oh, I can't oh, wait, boy. Mr. Thomas. Woo! Cannot it's, wait. Yeah, it's he, it's something. It's, it ain't got no alibi. He was he was, <laughs> he was so bad they sent him to Canada. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, our third letter comes from Stewart in San Francisco. And uh, he is, uh, like everyone else, a bit worried about the future of the book. And uh, he's not convinced that Gillis' original vision will be paid off under Hudnell's word processor. He, uh, he hopes that Hudnell and company will keep Gillis's dangling bits, <clears throat> uh, <laughs> like the beacon and whatnot. Um, now, Hudnell replies by promising that uh, the Gillis plot lines, which he is privy to,
1: will all be paid off in full by issue number 27. Wow. I mean, man, this creative team is being called out on their stuff here. They, no like,
0: doubt. I've never seen anything like this. No I mean, life. this is – you know, I remember when Claremont left the X-Men and the letters pages were so full of spin and people just so excited about the art rather than the story that nobody was worried about Claremont leaving. They're like, oh, exactly. we're in this new era. Strikeforce moratorium, though, it's like I've never seen – I mean – our, our poor our poor buddy
1: here hudnell he is in the hot seat oh it is this is this is a keith giffen joins jo- joins hex the book hex. that's that's yep. that's it's heck it's a hex level event which is what i'll call this <laughs> such a dramatic shift in tone and in art and it's funny because the amount of pressure that james hudnell must be feeling here just to respond totally. to yeah. this these skewering letters it's funny because most of the anderson and gillis run we didn't even get to see a letters page but yep. yet praise is placed all over him in the few letters that we get in these issue. And these folks are just crapping all over <laughs> Hudnall and his team here. And it, it is this is tough to read, man. I feel bad for this guy. Like, I know, yeah. I know he's dead because you told me. But, uh, <laughs> man, I feel like dropping off, like, uh, some flowers to his grave or something because of this. This yeah. is bad stuff. Oh, yeah. It's it's rough here. And uh, it just the,
0: the amount, like you said, the amount of pressure this guy, this poor guy has undertaken this assignment. Um, and even, I mean... In 2020, right now, anytime we post anything, they're like, "Oh, that book went
1: to crap when the huddle came. It's like, <laughs> "Wow, well, let, the, let, let the let the poor guy just rest." Every um, everybody everybody yeah. posts <laughs> the image of the first issue. So if you're talking to <laughs> Force Moratorium, every single person on Twitter has has is obligated to post that first issue. Yes. Now, I think you you said that you're going to throw it a little little bit of a trivia contest. Do it. Go ahead and do it. Can you name those three characters on that cover? Ooh, look at you
0: because everyone loves discovering this book and putting that cover out there <laughs> but uh who are
1: those three characters hmm. and uh <laughs> and just saying the team's name does not count who not. actually are they now <laughs> mm, good luck with that gentlemen mm-hmm. that means you actually have to not just discover and share the picture of it you need to read it <laughs> yeah you don't have to. You don't have to retweet somebody's tweet they been retweeted go. 900 different times in different <laughs> places. But now you actually do. Got to do your homework. You've got to put the work in. Now and uh, I will. I will send a Twitter DM. No prize to you. So you yes. <laughs>
0: now, <laughs> back to Hudnall's uh, reply here. Um, you know he does say that the Gillis plot lines will be paid off, and he also says that we'll find out why Talima is work back working for the Padilla. He says that'll happen in issue 22, which didn't exactly happen. Um, He's sure he went back to work, but we didn't really get an explanation. I, I guess um, the cohesion. I guess that's what there must be. Must yeah. be. Uh, we do get an interesting quote. We have a couple of interesting quotes from Hudnall here. Uh, the first one is uh, whenever I take over a book, I reread all the issues from issue one to get pre- to get that pre- to the present to get a feel for the characters and the history. In this case, I also spent a lot of time on the phone with Peter Gillis, picking his Mm. brain for details about the Horde and the Padean government.
1: Weird. Like, have they been listening to the show? I'm convinced now (laughs) that these books are produced live as we record. I think there's somebody... Yeah. They're they're uploading them to the websites. They're they're re they're throwing them in quarter bins. They're doing everything. As soon as they watch our show or listen to our show, I should say, they 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 draft up these books. I honestly feel that has the case because I feel Hudnall – Well now now to the to fairness, let's be fair here. I I actually, I honestly feel at this point that Hudnell has read all the issues because yeah. We're seeing a lot of stuff play out and a lot of detail going into this. And yeah, the poor guy just got skewered in letters pages. But I think he actually got his game together right now, writing wise. And uh, I think he's delivering a good storyline wise, man. Sure, sure. Absolutely. But no, nobody can convince me that his first two issues, though, that he read any any part of this book because he absolutely it. didn't. Yeah. No way, no, shape or form. No doubt it. And, uh, I, I, you know, it's like one of the it's.
0: Did, did Hudnall have Gillis' blessing? I mean, if they chatted on the phone about the future of the book and, and to and to find out how storylines were going to eventually pay off here, I, I mean, I wish more people would read these letters pages because uh, maybe maybe Hudnall would be looked at a little bit – or Hudnall's time on Moratory would be looked at a little bit differently if people knew that Gillis was on board with him taking over and he was even giving him information and telling him where things were going to go and – Yep. I I it's I think we, we just need to like find a way to get a hold of Peter Gillis and be like, okay, definitely. We he's need he's, to know what you said to Hudnell.
1: Peter Gillis, if you're listening, we need the answers to these questions. We will find you're, you. We will get. You're our only hope. Yes. <laughs> help me, Peter Gillis. You're our only hope. Or <laughs>
0: well, Carl Potts or Brent Anderson, just some someone
1: Anybody. reach out. Someone help us out here.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, uh, letter four comes from Benoit in Ontario.
1: Oh please, Benoit in Ontario. Mm-hmm. That's the only name you could find. Like, like we're, we're Canadians. And we have one name now. It's like yep. we're named by the WWE. Like we can't be like Chris <laughs> Bailey. I would be only Bailey from Newfoundland. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So he's Benoit from Ontario. Grow up. <laughs> now Benoit, he must <laughs> be on drugs because he loves Hugh
0: Thomas. Loves. <laughs> oh, yes. Hugh Thomas, um, and he does not want to see this book artist hop like Alpha Flight, which also features Hugh Thomas. Um, yeah. Uh, now Benoit gives us our first Make Mine Marvel riff that we've seen in a long time. Do you want to you want to hit the hit the folks with it?
1: Absolutely. Until there's a moratory registration act or a fall of the moratories, make mine the moratory verse. Ooh, Benoit's a turd. There's no way, there's no way what, What's his last name? Benoit Thomas Hugh Thomas' <laughs> boyfriend That's who this is it Must be no. Hudnall, uh, he goes on to give us
0: the rundown On the uh, upcoming art teams here We have uh, Jan, uh, uh, John Calamy Will be with us until issue 26 Then it's all Bagley And Myrick for the remaining Five issues, and uh, into Electric Undertow, of course
1: yeah, well, I mean, think about this back in the day. I mean, your only barometer of success really outside of sales of how you were doing was the actual letters. Sure. So, you know, if the office mailbag was full of praise for your work, you got more jobs. That's how they knew that, you know, this creative team was working. You know what I mean? You could say that a book is selling, but it's really hard to judge that when you got characters who sell anyway. So think about it. Yeah. Spider-Man. Captain America, Avengers, all these things, Daredevil, like all these things sold on their own merits anyway. You didn't really need, you know, a super, you know, creative team behind them. They were going to sell a certain amount of issues anyway. So the real barometer was when people would send bags of mail saying, hey, I love Frank Miller on Daredevil or I love Todd McFarlane on Spider-Man. You know what I mean? Then it became clear to the Marvel brass that, oh, my God, you know, there's, we got something special here with these guys. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, you know, totally. but, but when you think about it, uh, if you receive silence, <laughs> which is what this entire team was, that had to be perceived as being bad. So, you sure. know, as indifferent as it is, it seems like a very corrupt way to promote your talent. I mean, it, it's clear to all involved that Hugh was, you know, way in over his head doing this book, but it's just just a strange way of, you know, being promoted because anybody could write these letters, Chris. If your job sure. depended on the number of feedback that you got in that mailbag, by God, my family would load loaded up the bags. Yes, it's Burley Bailey, and Florence Bailey, and Brad Bailey. <laughs> Everybody's writing letters here. Look at this. Look at this <laughs> Bailey family. They love this Chris Bailey guy. You know <laughs> what I mean? You, you can manipulate it to get it to work in your favor outside of sales. I mean, sales sure. obviously is the, is the is the driving force between every comic. But if you're talking about your individual performance, the mailbag was Your the way brand, you yeah. Yes. I got an interesting story for you. Mm-hmm. So I work at uh, well I don't work there but I do some uh, side work at a radio station here in town okay So they mm-hmm. were telling me all about how they achieve ratings Now how do you think that they know that for example their morning show is doing What's your what's your guess Um do, is there any
0: sort of uh, electronic way to to tell their ratings or is it uh, or or do they do it based off
1: of feedback So once a year they send out surveys a- surveys paper mm-hmm. surveys oh boy <laughs> yep to certain homes random samples they don't even know if they've listened to one show two shows anything and they actually tape a canadian loony inside it so you oh, can fill wow. out the survey and you get a loony and the ratings depends on you actually filling it out and not just tossing it in the garbage so they have to wait one year to know how their ratings are delivered by the Canadian oh, uh, Canadian broadcast standards, like they'll they'll get updates if uh, you know if if something's going off the off the chain or if you know if they've done something wrong, they'll get updated by the uh, you know the Canadian Radio Broadcasting Network or whatever. Like they'll 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 get updates of you know what they're doing wrong, but they've got no idea if they're a hit miss or indifferent. So they could literally go an entire year without having a clue if any of their stuff is working. Imagine that. Wow.
0: Yeah, that's why maybe
1: we should maybe we should do that with this show we'll i'll just grab a bunch of toonies <laughs> and i'll just mail stuff out to random people on twitter <laughs> <laughs> i think that could work that's something we'll, we should look into <laughs> then, then we'll wait a year it'll be like on quester days episode 25 when we actually reveal <laughs> how we did <laughs> people really like that show we used to do yeah <laughs>
0: Nobody cared about that show we used to do. Oh, good <laughs> thing it's done, yeah. But <laughs> I love it. Now our fifth and final letter comes from L.W. in Lompok. Now they uh they feel that issue 21 was quote different but not in a quote bad way.
1: Oh no. Oh yeah. um... Lompoc, of course yeah and uh
0: they they are nervous about gillis's departure to which hudnell thanks them for their concern
1: <laughs> <laughs> i mean what else can you do i mean his neck's on the line he has to actually deliver the anderson and gillis vibe but has little idea how to even do it i mean uh think about it he could write his ass off. he can do mm-hmm. you know he could match up story for story but he's got to depend on these artists to deliver oh, his yeah. deliver his story and, I mean, mm-hmm. you think about issue 21, what people thought of that issue, mm-hmm. and how bad that artist delivered his story. I mean, that could have cost Hudnall his job right there and then. He could have literally sure. took bread off his table by delivering such a turd that he did. It's crazy. I, I feel bad for Hudnall because, he, man, he's thrown to the wolves here. Totally. Yeah, he,
0: he, it's... Yeah, so much is dependent on i mean it's comics so it's it's visual so much is dependent on on how the book looks um and i know folks will say that the story is what's most important and and to a large extent i agree uh but oh, yeah the art has to be at the very least passable and uh that 21st issue uh uh-uh. uh no 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 <laughs> but uh <laughs> That is our letters page, and I don't know that we'll get another one. So we'll <laughs> we'll, okay. we'll just rah-rah, uh, we got one. So uh, from here, we jump into the return of Gillis and Anderson.
1: <gasps> dun, dun, dun. We're about yes. to deliver. They're back.
0: They are back. We get the official Strike Force Moratory Handbook featuring the Horde spacecraft and the Padilla, <laughs> which is... The, the the same exact stuff we saw back in issue thirteen, written by Peter B. Gillis with art by Brent Anderson. So, uh, you see, we we can claim that this issue features their return? You know that, that is something we can lead with. Um, and you know we, we, uh, what, what's integrity,
1: right? What, the, the, what <laughs> I mean, they're literally <laughs> filling pages with old material. And what I mean, did they did they come up short? did They. Must did, have. Did, I gotta like, do a page count on this bad boy because there was a lot of ads like house ads too on top of these two pages. So
0: it's true. And it's it's like why why didn't they just put two uh, two more house ads in? Did the did like did the Marvel editors and boot camp be like, no, no, we're not wasting any of our ads in Strike <laughs> Force
1: Moratori. Sorry oh, sorry. My. They yeah, don't sorry, even they yeah. don't even want to push their own stuff in here. Not <laughs> they're, they're not even gonna put in an ad for the NAM. I mean, come on. At least <laughs> so, advertise the NAM people.
0: Wolf Pack number seven is too big for Strikeforce <laughs> Moratory, Damn it! Oh boy. So yeah, that's uh um, that is the return of Gillis and Anderson for whatever reason. I it's just so weird. I
1: what mean, horde spacecraft. We don't
0: see any. I mean, there's has nothing to do with any. Um, oh well. Um, the bullpen bulletins. We don't get a full sized one. Uh, we get a bullpen mini bulletin, which doesn't even appear in Strikeforce Moratory number twenty five. I had to get it out of a different marvel comic cover dated december 19 or january 1989 uh since this one is mini it is a half page we get no quote
1: of the month No, ah, oh, oh thy doth love thy blade as i magically lift thy helm no there's none of that stuff what <laughs>
0: none of that stuff this time sorry yeah but uh we do have news we have a couple of news items here uh first the first news item is marvel gets sort of kind
1: of gets a plug from the outgoing president of the united states ronald reagan Right now, he, was, uh, he was actually popular here in canada We we liked our ronald reagan back here in the uh over here across the pond Sure sure i mean he, he loved him he, he he
0: slaughtered in 1984 i think uh what mondale won <laughs> one state <laughs> That was wow. the state he lived in
1: yeah it's a uh, he, he was a popular fella And now, rich uh, little did an impression of ronald reagan i am not a crook oh that's the wrong one (laughs) well nancy i think that was the entire thing (laughs) that was it
0: (laughs) (laughs) well nancy i'm ronald reagan
1: (laughs) money made pay me i am not a crook i'm richard nixon (laughs) that's the end of his act he's here (laughs) all night everybody rich little thank you try the waitress tip
0: the veal um (laughs) Now, uh, when asked if he reads the horoscope in the newspaper every morning, Ronald Reagan replied with, Every morning, every morning I start the day with the first thing I read in the paper of the comics. I'm just dying right now to see how Spider-Man is going to get out from under that great giant big wrestler. (laughs) So, uh, uh, I'm Ronald Reagan.
1: Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Well, Nancy. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, Listen, uh, I all. I'll, I'll agree with Ronald here. I love sure. newspaper strips, and they were always fun. And it's think about it. It's a dying art these days. I mean, who, what comic fan goes to the, you know, the weekend newspaper and wants to pull out the funnies and all that type of stuff. Like we, we have newspapers, but they don't really have a full fledged funny section throughout the week. So it's only the weekend editions that we get, you know, some like full
0: color, you know, yeah. F-
1: yeah. Full pages of comics and things like that. So I always loved them myself. So sure. You know my grandparents always used to have the papers and I always used to thumb through it and pull the uh, pull the comics out and read it. I used to line up at the grocery store with my dad and I loved reading like TV guide like TV guides here used to have comic strips in them as well. Mm -hmm. so they always had spider-man in which i loved so i would every week we went to the store i would read spider-man to the tv mag because my parents were too cheap to buy the uh the tv (laughs) magazine so i read them it didn't matter i i knew what was going on i was up to date and i remember the weekend newspapers i mean they had flash gordon they had star wars they even had prince valiant on top of like regular schlock like hagar the horrible or asterix garfield or handicap yeah yeah man there was so (laughs) much there was so much stuff right but oh yeah it's just a, a dead thing do you think anybody ever went around and actually collected that stuff i was just about to tell you a story about that um, oh do oh, so. i can't wait i'm sitting I, back
0: i fell in love with those uh like those kind of squat but wide garfield uh collections oh, you know love like, them. Love oh, them. and i remember like you'd get lucky and like maybe like once or twice a year the scholastic book order would cut co- would would have one in it
1: and, i had the uh, red one garfield at oh March. yeah
0: at large, yeah. And it's like you'd uh, like you'd hope that it was one you didn't already have because they would just be any one. It wouldn't just be yeah. the newest one. It would be like it's like, oh, well, here's in scholastic the scholastic book order. It's a Garfield volume three. It's like, ah oh, man, I already have that one. So I, I don't get a Garfield book this this quarter. Um, but what I used to do is I would cut them out of the newspaper and I would tape them into like a memo pad that I would turn sideways. And it would be like similar to the size of one of those collections. And uh, I did that for for a while, just to have these things here. And uh, they're probably in the garage somewhere. But uh, oh, but yeah, man, I love. You got it. to find those and share those. Oh. I can't wait to see that. That's awesome. I I got to dig those out. And I remember I did that with uh, I did that with Spider Man, but not as often because uh, I I was a paperboy for New York Newsday, and Newsday did not carry Spider Man. You had to get the Daily News, the New York Daily News, for that. And uh, I we wouldn't get that very often because I was already a paper boy for Newsday. So oh, it was it a competition
1: be, like only certain oh, papers yeah. could carry certain
0: strips. Uh huh. Yeah, the syndicates nice. were all different. Yeah. So cool. it's a uh, yeah. Uh, Spider Man, I would do that with, and I remember um there was a Spider Man and X Men story called like the mutant something, the mutant operative or something, and uh, they they actually published like a blank book. Uh, a blank comic book where you would cut out the newspaper strip and you would tape it into this comic book and uh and i remember really getting involved with that but i didn't get every issue every copy of the paper so it it looked like crap you know (laughs) (laughs) but that was a very interesting little uh, bit of synergy between um you know the the comics on the shelf and the the newspaper strips which uh you know wasn't wasn't something that they were really known for um outside of the the wedding and stuff and uh the
1: spider-man wedding oh yeah so they so they yeah so i mean there was a little bit of synergy because i recall the wedding firsthand so they actually did their own wedding within the tv guide which was kind of cool as well yeah Mm -hmm. and that has spider-man's been finished how long has that been finished wrapped up is anybody else doing that again yeah no yeah that was that was a sad thing
0: reprints yeah 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 I, i do remember that um Back in I want to say like 2010 or 2011, they decided they were gonna move the brand new day uh, continuity into the newspaper strip. Oh. Uh, yeah. So they like ended uh, ended one of the strips with like you know tomorrow a brand new uh, brand new beginning with a, a brand new single Spider-Man and all this stuff and that uh, didn't last long because they went they went back to uh, Spider-Man being married uh, before the before the thing ended so. Very wow, with
1: it even infected the newspaper strips. That's interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah. Wow. I, I I could probably find pictures of that if we if we can if we wanted to share those. Yeah, but Who those knew? are uh, the, those interesting stuff. Um, but uh, of course, you know, we we can't uh, talk about newspaper strips without mentioning Mary Worth.
1: Oh, oh yes, you got me <laughs> super into that. So I got a stack of that after that Cosmic Treadmill, which by by the way, if anyone, when I go to do that Cosmic Treadmill episode, the tribute show, that's the show I'm talking about because that was my absolute favorite. I was, I listened to that two and a half times that day. <laughs> that, was, that was a fun one.
0: Oh, oh man, man, so good. Mary Worth, uh, a, a septuagenarian
1: being stalked by Captain Kangaroo. It was so good. That 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 entire run was great. It was and deep. Like not something you'd normally see. Like mm-hmm. you talk about something that passed by editors. I don't yeah. think people even knew what was happening in Mary Worth. They're like, Oh, Mary Worth, no one gives two craps, it's like family circus. <laughs> no, it wasn't. There was stuff going on and Mary was, you know, about to lose her draws. <laughs> Yeah, very nearly did yep.
0: <laughs> But yes I, I love the newspaper strips here I, I like that Ronald Reagan was able to sidestep A silly question about horoscopes <laughs> Yes It's like yes I read my horoscope And I uh...
1: <laughs> Well Nancy <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm Ronald Reagan and I read the horoscope Oh, oh, oh boy another, another news item here we have um, Is uh, more on that Assistant editor's boot camp workshop Yeah uh... Um, unfortunately there is no word That they'll be still enforcing such a practice in 2020 So <laughs> yada yada
1: Glad <laughs> they don't have to worry about those Workshop these days Boy that's a relief <laughs> Just imagine Think think about Mar- t- comics today Think about Marvel Studios today Workshopping mm-hmm. for six months To actually do a year's worth of material So you can actually have a plan Where your right. universe was going And maybe actually connect the dots Through all your books <gasps> Imagine that ain't happening. Oh man! Think every single book is basically non-canon. I mean, it just it's just so stupid. Sure. It reminds me of it reminds me when DC DC went and did you know nine hundred different imprints. I mean, think about the uh, Young Animals books. I mean, none of that was technically oh, yeah. canon. I mean, I know people love that stuff, but I mean, Doom Patrol didn't mean a thing to. If you meant if you read Doom Patrol, that that, that the events that were in those books did. I mean, they meant they meant nothing at the end of the day. Oh, boy, Yeah, we... Uh,
0: young Animal is something that uh, there's there's 30 hours of audio dedicated to on this very channel, if
1: anyone's oh, interested listen, in dredging in through up. that. Uh, and you have two and, Spider-Man books. You know, back in the day, you had Spider-Man books. You had two of them going, like today even. I mean, some of those books don't even have relation to each other. There's stuff going oh, yeah. on. They all overlap. There's no continuity. And then you got books like Doctor Strange. And, you know, they constantly, like, put out a Doctor Strange book. Then they cancel it. And, like, the newest one I think just came out. It only lasted six issues. And they're already canceling it and rebooting them or sticking them in another, another book. You know what I mean? What do you got to look forward to? There's I mean, nothing, if this, yeah. no, if this was all planned out, there would have been a game plan of where these books are going, what they're tying into their purpose and reason for living. But these books exist on their own. They don't really tie into each other unless it's a super event. And by God, if it's a super event, say, for example, it's Secret Wars. You've got to have your own battle world four issues to make sure it makes a trade. You know what I mean? Mm hmm. Oh, oh it's ridiculous so and then,
0: bad. Yeah it's like the one thing The one thing I'll always cite is uh, There was a span of time where Marvel Kept rebooting the Fantastic Four And it was they oh. were telling And they were telling the same story Year after year it would be the first issue The team would be together and decide to split up Then they would spend a year Realizing oh wait we need each other And then they same. would end the volume With them coming back together And then they would cancel the damn book Over and over and over like, and like, Over and like, over again yeah, it's just like, what's the point of any of this? Um, I, I had a story I was gonna save for um, an appearance on the uh, Batpod in in a little bit here, but uh, I, I remember the rude awakening. Um, when I started reading Batman comics, I started reading them in earnest with uh, the Shadow of the Bat, uh, the launch of Shadow of the Bat and uh, i remember the end of the third issue it was a four-part story called the last arkham and at the end of the third issue batman's in arkham asylum and he is being cornered by like every inmate of arkham and no uh, i was just like salivating for that fourth issue i'm like oh man what's gonna happen and a buddy of mine also got into batman around this time and his parents took him to the comic shop and he, he picked up every batman book from that month so he got like detective he got legends he got regular batman he got shadow of the bat and i was like oh let me see and i look in there all different stories and i'm like all well, well he's he's in arkham asylum what's going on it's like it's like well no no he's he's you know he's fighting the electrocutioner over here and it's like well, what, what, the, what the which one is real And he's like, and I remember we went to the comic shop and the, and the guy's like, they're all real. I'm like, well, when does, when do they happen? He's like, I don't know. It's like, well, which one's the most important? Well, they're all important. Well, which one's like the realist? (laughs) Oh, they're all real. It's like, dude. Yeah. That always drove me insane, which is so silly to consider now since everything is like that. Well, my, um, my,
1: my head and my head canon always goes to the core issue. So say, for example, the same thing happened to Spider-Man, Spectacular mm-hmm. Spider-Man and Web of Spider-Man. Of course, there were different adventures happening, but it always in my mind, I would always go, OK, amazing is your center one. So, yeah. so that's your foundation. That That's what's happening. The other stuff all fit around like these stories still exist, but they all sort of fit in. in. And not only days. that, yeah. Marvel did a pretty good job back in the day of sort of mentioning something. So if some oh, if yeah. a story had consequence, it did parlay over to the other books. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't lost on them. But today's books, I mean, there's very 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 little synergy. Yeah. It's true. It's From very, creative very team true. to creative team, it's almost like dumping the bodies and, you know, throwing <laughs> throwing the baby out with the bathwater every single time you do it. You know what I mean? Oh, 100%. Um We also learned during this uh, assistant editor's workshop that
0: Marvel staffers acted kind of like morons at summer conventions. So (sighs) we end up the final item here. uh, The DC bullets beat the Marvel
1: bullpen in softball eight to seven, (laughs) (laughs) which goes without saying in 1988 Mm -hmm. because DC kicked the crap out of Marvel the entire time. In my opinion, (laughs) I mean, right after crisis, I was a DC guy like nobody else. You couldn't pass me a Marvel book without saying, well, you know. I'll read that after I read, you know, Justice League, and after I read Batman, and after I read Superman, mm-hmm. and you know, God Zatanna, or the, you know, Shazam miniseries, anything. Give me more DC. <laughs> but, no, this uh, this would tie Marvel
0: and DC up in the uh, in the softball ranks here, and the rubber match is set to occur in a few weeks. So if that does happen, and it's reported on, we'll share those results here at Moratory Monday. So. You can know who won the great softball battle of uh, 1988 and
1: 1989. I'm waiting. Pins and needles waiting.
0: <laughs> I know. I mean, this is, it's like, I don't, I don't care about the end of the moratory war. I, I just want to know who won the softball game. <laughs> um, we get no profile, which I guess is a blessing or a curse.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think that, the, you know, uh, we're all out of people. I I think they literally fired every single person they could. And they did it right in these letters pages and right in these profile pages. So now they're out of people. Anyone else that, you know, works in the office is already across the street with Larry Hammer and the rest of the shooter regime. So there's literally nobody else to profile. So that's that's what you got right here. Yeah,
0: jamming or jamming Johnny Smith. uh, His office has been moved out (laughs) to the dumpster
1: behind the building. Oh man, that's three so cheers hilarious. for the
0: jamming one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we get a we get a mighty Marvel checklist here with no blurbs, of course. Oh, uh, there are some notables here. I I want to save one to ask you a question here, but uh, the first that we want to mention is X hyphen Caliber number four. Ugh. You remember X hyphen Caliber?
1: Yes, I remember X hyphen Caliber. Oh, yeah, Was that a fan? I oh, don't know yeah, why then... there's a giant giant hyphen there, but yeah.
0: And also X-Factor, no number. So we assume it's just the entire run. So. <laughs> just read X-Factor, everybody. Every you single issue. and I, So it's like more of that assistant editors, they're in the boot camp. They they don't get to look at the bullpen bulletins page. So.
1: You first uh, Solar Man, number one.
0: That's the one I want to ask you about. <laughs> Solar
1: Man, number one. Do you have any memories of Solar Man? <laughs> I own Solar Man, number one. I don't know if I have ever... Cracked the book, I think I have, and I Damn think him. the I think this is one of the cases where the artwork just took me right out of the book, and that just went right back into the old uh, the old bookshelf. So, did you read Solar Man for one? No, <laughs> I've got oh, it. I've never man. read. Man, it. it is the drizzles, my friend. It looks terrible, but uh, oh, I think true. I'm gonna. Oh, one second, I am good. 12nd I gotta do my math on that. I don't know right offhand, but I, re- I remember the ad looking really crappy,
0: and it, I ended up did.
1: buying it anyway. It was drawn
0: by Jim Mooney, actually. Ooh. Yeah, okay. Um,
1: Written by
0: Stan the Man. Oh. Are you serious?
1: Stan Lee actually wrote it? Yes, sir. Oh, okay. Well, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and pull that thing out of the mothballs. I'm going to have that read for next moratorium. We'll we'll, we'll discuss as a brief two-minute side (laughs) note book report on Solar Man number one, because we have not given it due justice here. Let's see here. Solar Man. He only. Ha- oh, it's only
0: two issues long. We-
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, we'll read the whole series. Maybe we'll
0: uh, we'll have Solar Man Saturdays to bring us into Moratory Mondays <laughs> coming up soon. Here for two weeks only, limited engagement.
1: Right, right after Quester Days. Maybe we'll yes. do it.
0: Yes. <laughs> now that is the end of the bullpen bulletins. But of course, we have advertisements here. And uh, the first one is, it's an, uh, well, they're all kind of weird here. Uh, we have a two-page ad for the Shadowline saga from
1: Epic, which features Dr. Zero and St. George. Ah, so guess what? Guess what hmm. I did? What was it? I, so I think both issue, both uh, comics only have an eight-issue run for both series, I think. Series, so. I, think. Yep. I think so. So I read the first issue for both, and mm-hmm. the last issue for both as well. Really? What do you got yeah, they act- for they're all terrible. Uh, <laughs> Saint George in particular, it has this like almost like sword of Asriel religious vibe to it where you know you got a lot of, you know, men from the cloth giving him direction about the uh, he the looks old like a crusader. God. Yeah. Yeah, he's yeah, he's like a religious crusader who's, you know, Fighting for the Lord and all this type of stuff, you know what I mean. Then you got Doctor Zero, who actually comes in and I think he actually kills Saint George at the end of the uh, the last <laughs> issue. So he has this random appearance at the end. Uh, I don't know much about the Shadowline saga, but I, I I wanted to jump in and just take a look. My original intention was to try to read all 16 issues before this podcast, but it didn't happen. So I grabbed issues one and the last issue, issue eight on both, but no so i would not sh- purchase these chris i would i would not uh i, I would not purchase these no so shadow Indeed
0: line not. saturday is coming
1: soon oh yes <laughs> no. who's
0: who's co-hosting that one because i'm not <laughs> it'll just be dead air
1: oh, uh, man, we're gonna have to give that to jesse and mark <laughs> yeah they, they don't even know they're on the network you guys you guys are doing the shadow line saga from epic you're welcome <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh boy if, if only elf quest went long enough because I, I do when we do get into elf quest uh when we hit the ground running we're gonna be doing like a little epic report we're gonna like talk about everything in epic coming out a- around that time so that'll be interesting stuff yep. um we have another house ad here for marvel milestone month this is back when legacy numbers meant a damn um and we have captain america number 350
1: avengers number 300 and thor number 400 So I remember vividly buying Captain America 350 and Avengers 300 Uh Captain America 350. I think that was Steve Rogers taking on U.S. Agent, I think. I believe you're right. That was cool. So if if people crap all over Marvel Comics for changing up their heroes, you know what I mean? Like, oh, no, look, now Thor's a girl and they changed Hulk into a Chinese or a Japanese guy and blah, 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 blah. You know what I mean? Everybody's got Mm -hmm. a big complaint over, you know, changing up the characters. Well, guess what? They were just as guilty back in the day. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Thor was changed up. The Avengers, you couldn't recognize them. Uh, Captain America became, America, became, became US agent. So, I mean, anyone who craps on modern day marvel and says oh it's not as good as back in today well back in 88 they were doing the exact same thing and this kid right here who complains constantly about today's comics was all in on u.s agent i'll tell you that i love new <laughs> thor i love my crappy avengers which was gilgamesh the forgotten Gil-Gamesh. One and all...
0: yes sir <laughs>
1: and half the I was...
0: fantastic four yep
1: <laughs> i was all yes that's what i mean it, like the avengers were just bits and pieces of the inhumans and the fantastic four and she-hulk Weird like stuff, yeah. oh it was so cool but U.S. Agent. Oh, man. I I remember loving that as a kid. So, I mean, you know, Spider-Man had his black costume. He shifted into, Mm -hmm. you know, the precursor to Venom. He was going around with the black suit. And then you had the black-suited Captain America with the U.S. Agent. And he was tough as nails, pounding the crap out of, you know, uh, Cap's villains until Steve Rogers came back. You know what I mean? I I love that stuff. But they do that every few years anyway. So every ten years, there's always a big reboot, you know what I mean? So this is not new, folks, and I know it's painful. For modern fans or or traditional fans, I should say, who grew up in the Bronze and Silver Ages and all that stuff, you know, it's almost sacred that, you know, you trash the characters that you grew up with. Well, it's been happening ever since you were a comic fan. So there you go. And and everything is a story and everything will go back to
0: normal. Absolutely. It it always does. It does. It does. Now, the last ad we're going to discuss from this book is Something Strange by Anne Nesenti, which is a very
1: weird-looking graphic novel from Epic that I've never seen before. I have never physically seen a copy of this before. If anyone out there who's actually read that or owns it, please take a picture of it, because I don't know if this thing exists. Even in the, the darkest, so deepest caverns of the Internet, I can't find this thing. No, because I, I come across some weird stuff in the in the
0: bins and stuff. I've never seen this. Uh, and it's actually, like, a very off-putting ad. Like,
1: oh, it'll be yeah. nightmares. It's very strange. I really don't want to buy this book based on that. <laughs> it's true. It's just, like, I don't want that in my house. It's, <laughs> <weird>. <laughs> it's true. Look at that oh. Spider-Man, like, he's wearing, oh, it looks like... looks cursed. Yeah. Yeah, he's got Iron Man's gloves. He's got Spider-Man's, you know, upper torso suit and mask. And they got, like, spiky Captain blonde America's, hair popping at uh, the top. Yeah. Captain America's, like,
0: flag around the, around the uh, like, stomach, it... It looks like a uh, like Combo Man. Yeah, know. it is. <laughs> Back in the day. Oh, man. But uh, those are all the ads from Strike Force Moratory number 25 here. But we do have some ads from other Marvel comics with a January 1989 cover date. Uh, the first of which is the Marvel Action Universe
1: featuring Spider-Man, RoboCop, and Dino Riders. You are not going to believe this. Do you know in my province I grew up in, we had mm-hmm. none. Of the Marvel Action Universe. Really? It never came on, never aired. None of it. Wow. So the only way that I tracked some of this stuff down, and, like, I've seen it all after the fact, you know what I mean? So I've seen the Robocop cartoon. I've seen Dino Riders. So, you know, through a combination of the early days of YouTube and all that type of stuff, I mean, it it was pretty good stuff. I I know I would have loved this stuff back in the day, but I was seriously deprived of the Marvel Action Universe back in the day. And you talk about a thing like Dino Riders, Dino Riders is one of those, you know, masks. So Mask kicked off the sure. entire, like, minifigure, you know, explosion. Into the vehicle, you know? yeah. Yeah, you had Sky Commanders, you had Dino Riders, you had Mask, And, uh, man, Dino Riders was only on the uh, on the shelves for, like, a drink of water. I mean, this thing was, mm. you know, in and out of toy stores like you would not believe. But I think that went 13 or 14 episodes, did it not? I don't, you know, I don't know because it feels like i napped
0: on this whole uh the action the action universe here i don't Ah. remember it um i know it's a thing now of course but i remember finding out like that you know the marvel the marvel action thing was spider-man and robocop and i was like what oh yeah (laughs) i didn't know i didn't remember that at all i must have just slept on this
1: uh i couldn't wait for all the all the tv lineups, so they would always have like a a uh you know launch special you know the saturday morning fall lineup for cbs sure. you know then you know someone like alf would be hosting it and you know hey geez Willie you know do what do the whole <laughs> the whole nine yards and they would introduce the cartoons and uh you know that was a thing but i completely you, missed out on this did you ever
0: see the one that was hosted by the kids of saved by the bell the the saturday morning cartoons where they actually met alf so like Zach and what? Screech
1: met Alf. Oh my God! I have not. That is I'll the crossing to... of the streams like nothing else.
0: Yeah, that that, that is available uh, on on YouTube. I'll, we'll we'll have to get that out to, to folks because okay. that is that wait. is something you gotta see. It's like it's like a it's like a lost episode of it by the
1: Bell where they meet Alf. It's very strange. Oh my God! Can you imagine Zach <laughs> Morris and Alf in one one roof? That would be it, so good. The best of both worlds. Yeah. Zach, let me borrow the phone. And he gives you know Alf that giant phone. That'd be great. <laughs> it would be awesome. Oh
0: man! If he if if Alf would eat Screech, it would be even better. <laughs> um, now, oh, our...
1: <laughs> I've given up on cats and gone to Kelly Kapowski's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> enough said.
0: Um, yes. Now our final ad is for Count Chocula and Frankenberry meeting the yummy mummy mm, yeah.
1: I, I, so i love monster cereals no question mm. no ifs ands or buts about it i did not ever taste yummy mummy have you me either no no so I, I i only liked i liked
0: frankenberry i, liked booberry, I boo-berry, like booberry. I'm I Berry, which i didn't like count chocula too much i
1: thought it was a little too fake chocolatey and uh, i don't think i've ever had yummy mummy you want to you want a confession do hmm. you know that every single time that they release these cereals, that they always end up in our break room at work to <laughs> feed the staff? <laughs> wink. wink. Are, are these are these like only on on the shelves part of the year now? Yeah, they come out as really? special editions. Halloween. Yeah. And, and I think, yep. Around Halloween, you'll get to see the monster cereals re-released. They're worth a try, man. I had Frankenberry oh. last year, and I really, really liked it. And Booberry as well. I didn't have, I didn't, I, I didn't burst into my uh, Count Chocula. It was gone off my shelf by the time I actually went to devour some. But yep, hmm. they're, a, they're a Halloween exclusive. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, they may be Target, Target exclusives. Really? I don't know. I don't know. They're an exclusive anyway. I might be wrong on that, but someone will correct me for sure. But yeah, there's also they're, they're, uh, a Fruit Brute. Fruit Brute. I've had Fruit Brute, but the only reason I had Fruit Brute was because we had it in the states, and I uh, I actually bought some, but it was on one of the last days of one of our vacations, and uh, I exa- I got to eat exactly two bowls of Fruit Brute, which was not bad. <laughs> let's see here, we
0: have uh, let's see, it was revealed that special retro edition boxes of all five cereals with their original packaging art would be sold exclusively at Target stores. So there you go, you got that right, and uh. In 2014, General Mills enlisted the aid of DC Comics to create new designs for the cereals at the time for that Halloween. Yep. Uh, so Jim Lee designed Booberry, uh, Terry Dodson designed Count Chocula, and Dave Johnson uh, Beta designed Frankenberry.
1: And they, they kept them pretty classic, so I was very pleased with the redesigns, too. How about that? Yeah. Fruit Brute looks like. Ugh. Weird. I know. <laughs> fruit brute is a bag of dicks but uh, i digress <laughs> but
0: uh that our friends will be uh cover to cover of strike force moratory the milestone 25th issue 25th issue sewed 25th episode whatever you want
1: to call it um, and i guarantee you we did not let the people down with episode 25 here talking about fruit brute. <laughs> yeah you, you never yeah th- you know, that, that if
0: you get this if you get this issue or this episode poly bagged, it'll come with a little pouch of fruit fruit inside so uh, <laughs> it'll be like the uh the gum in your uh, in your baseball card pack but uh yummy. Mm. <laughs> some fruit fruit from
1: nineteen seventy eight wash Delicious. that down with
0: a wash that down with a crystal pepsi and it will be all good <laughs> um but yeah that is uh, that is all we've got for you this week uh you want to do
1: some plug-in. Well, certainly, you can find me over at the Twitter uh, at Charlton underscore hero. Uh, You can also find me in my retro ramblings. And I've actually in the process of actually writing something on the blog. I've almost completed it. (laughs) It it will debut. It's like uh, it's like Image United. You just know that it was meant to come out, but it never does. So (laughs) I promise you. Something by the end of this month will actually be on my blog. So there you go. And wrestling fans may be of interest with that. So there you go. It's not even a super blog team up thing. It's actually from me. That I actually that? Want to right now. woohoo! I mean, <laughs> I've worked hard at this, Chris, you know what I mean? I know. Yeah. You, you know how long it takes me to write on a blog post forever. But anyway, you can find, you can find me over on WordPress. Just, uh, Type in superhero satellite and you'll find me over there. in My retro ramblings. We talk about wrestling. We talk about comic books, movies, TV and toys and anything that you grew up with. Chances are, we've mentioned it there. So there you go. That's Chris Bailey. Beautiful, beautiful. And you can
0: find me over at Chris's on infinite earths and uh, Chris and Reggie Chris and Reggie.com for the time being, as long as that's still up, I'll still be there. Um, Let's see, what do we got to talk about here? Uh, the final episode of Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill will be coming out in about a month, uh, September 13th, 2020. Um, and for that episode, I've extended an invitation to any listeners or friends of the show who would like to share some of their happier memories about uh, of, the, of the show, happy memories of the show. Things you might have liked, how you discovered the show, uh, your favorite episode— uh, and uh, I, I did a little video on this a few days ago, and I, I, in the middle of it, I kind of cracked myself up because I realized how egotistical it was to ask people to come on the show to basically tell us how good it was. Um, but, hey, that's what we're going to do. Uh, I want to uh, send this uh, project, which has really um, been a huge part of my life for the past five years, I want to send it off on on as positive a note as possible. And since the uh, the show cannot continue without a Chris and a Reggie, it's going to have to go away. And uh, it's going to go away uh, with a celebration. Um, I don't want it to go out on a, on a sad note, uh, regardless of how sad I am that it is ending. I want uh, folks to be able to, who who listened and or who enjoyed the show, just to tell me what you liked about it. Uh, you can do that via audio, do it via text, and I'll read it. Or you can uh, come on the air with me and we can uh, we can chat for a bit. So reach out, weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com or acecomics on Twitter. And uh, I will be more than happy and uh, excited to uh, to discuss just uh, how much you like the show. <laughs> how great, oh, great the show was. <laughs> great.
1: I had a surprise for you. I was just going to show up at your house and we were going to do a YouTube video together. Yeah. Hey, let's how about do that? it. Yeah. That's not uncomfortable at all. No, we'll just have to sit six feet apart.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <and>, uh... <laughs> We'll put the plexiglass between us and be all good. <laughs> we are social
1: distancing champions, folks. We are,
0: we are indeed. So yes, that is uh, that is the thing that is coming up. That has been my primary focus uh, for uh, outside of moratorium is is getting that episode to how I would like it to be. Um, Can't wait. Yes, I'm I'm very much dreading and looking forward to it. Um, also, uh, Chris and Reggie enamel pins. I'm sending those out. Uh, There's one headed to Canada right now, as a matter of fact. And uh, they're going to
1: Benoit in Ontario. It better not be. Benoit, Benoit, Hugh
0: Thomas Hudnall. Yes, (laughs) (laughs) he's he's getting he's getting the goods. But uh, yeah, if anybody out there uh, missed out on the uh, Cosmic Treadmill pins, they cost zero (laughs) dollars. I'm not charging people for them. I've got. I think I've got like 200 of them. Um, if you want to have something physical to remember the show, I would love for you to have one. Just reach out. Um, I will get one to you. The only thing I ask is uh, you maybe snap a picture of it when you get it so I can add it to the little slideshow of uh, of the folks who uh, who have shared photos of their, of their Cosmic Treadmill pins. So that's about it. I uh, do believe that's uh, all the time that uh, we will take up from you today and uh until next time i suppose we will uh, talk to you again real soon
1: see ya